Welcome to Christianity and Culture. My name is Jenny, and I am here with Bob, and we're talking about another Theology at the Bottleworks topic. Uh, Bob, do you want to introduce the topic? Sure, Jenny. Uh, we are going to talk about Theology of the Bottleworks topic. It happened to be number 184 in our continuing series of multi-discussions. The topic was, is nothing sacred? Is anything sacred? That's what we're talking about today. I, I mean, I find this topic quite fascinating just because of the inherent religious nature of the word sacred, um, but also how very widely it's used in, in all topics and, and uh, just walks of life. Uh, so I thought we'd start with definitions, just kind of like we typically do at a Theology of the Bottleworks discussion. It kind of sets a, a common ground where everyone can kind of have a jumping off point and see if there there is in fact a common ground or maybe not. There are several definitions for this word, which is typical. One is dedicated or set apart for the service of a worshiper deity or devoted exclusively to one service or use as of a person or purpose. Another definition is of or relating to a religion, not secular or profane. Uh, the one I think that we kind of talked the most about during the discussion was worthy of religious veneration or entitled to reverence or respect, which to me implies that it, it's not necessarily religious in nature, but uh, encourages that kind of devotion. Mm -hmm. Did you find that to be pretty commonly what people were talking about? I did. We picked our topic to give a little recap of Theology of the Bottleworks uh, as a ministry that is designed to engage Christians with non-Christians over topics that matter. We try to pick topics that are interesting, um, sometimes timeless, like this one, sometimes uh, cutting edge, and that always afford opportunity to speak elements of the gospel into a discussion, into a topic that matters to everybody. We picked sacred specifically. It obviously has religious overtones, except for some people it's not especially religious, which is going to your discussion of definitions. There really are sort of three big umbrella kind of ideas that people think about when they think about sacred. It's so interesting. We're recording this on September the 2nd, and we just heard uh, Joe Biden accept the Democratic Party's convention um, nomination for president, and he used the topic, used the word sacred twice in two of the ways, not the religious way, but in two of the ways that you talked about. Um, so sacred is definitely out there in the culture, and so we know people use the term. We know there are a couple ways to think about it. We also know sort of everybody uh, sort of agrees that there's something called sacred. But then one of the glories of the theology of the Bottleworks discussion is we keep drilling and drilling and drilling, like, you know, what is sacred? What does it mean? Not what does it mean? And what, where does all that come from? Like, okay, if you say it means something, well, where does that come from? And if something is sacred, you know, what, what does that mean in terms of going forward? You know, what impact does it have and how, how does it matter? Yeah, that was something that really, like, stood out to me. Like, uh, there were kind of two camps for what was sacred it was the individual experience and kind of purpose for the sacred and then there was like what if what about this kind of maybe universal 
universally accepted sacredness, this absolute sacredness that is outside of oneself. And there, there was a lot of like, oh, I find the forest sacred and the, the, the immensity of the redwoods and the just like grandeur of nature is sacred to me. Um, but like inherent in that is the bigness and the like outside of the individual. Yeah, I, I love the topic so much because mo- virtually everybody would agree that there's sort of something called sacred exists. And so simultaneously, it's not overtly religious up front because there are so many sort of different thoughts or paradigms that people have of sacredness. So it was a really fun way to get into a topic and get into its depths and talk about, you know, the if something is sacred, what, what does that really mean? Um, and how do we know that it's sacred? Sort of says who? You use kind of a phrase I use from time to time. It's like, it's sacred. Says who? Like, where does that sacredness come from? Either from, you know, just out of your head and you're putting a label on something, or is there really some other way of defining or determining what is sacred and what, what are those things? And it really does sort of break down into two giant categories. It's either religious and it comes from some deity of some kind, where it's not religious, just comes from it comes from something else. That's the big grouping, and so we're. I mean, I know we're going to talk for 20, 25 minutes uh, getting into it, but I loved how the topic made people think about. Okay, I believe there's something sacred. All those examples you gave are real examples, but like, why? You know, why do I think that? And is that the only way to think of it? Can I be open to more ways of thinking about even an adjusted, even a corrected way of thinking about sacred? Indeed. Um... The, like the word itself and the way it's used came up a lot. The um, a, a sacred duty, a sanctity of life, um, different things like that seem to be pretty like givens for a lot of people. Like yes, these are things that exist. Um, but even like we, we joke at at many theology of the bottle works discussions that okay, at the end of this, we've solved everything. We know the answer. Um, and the answer did seem to be that yes something is sacred and that was really interesting to me like there was a general consensus that sure like yeah uh, I didn't hear anyone say that no nothing nothing is really important enough to be sacred to me yeah I like that so much because you've got something hanging in the air and you've got a, a lot of people in a room in this case a zoom room but a lot of people in a room you know several dozen people who are a combination of religious and not religious kind of people, and everybody is agreeing about uh, sacredness of some kind. Everybody's agreeing it's a real thing. People aren't saying, oh, there's no such thing as sacred, because it, somehow people relate to it, and sort of my, my missional insight is because everybody has a sense of something bigger than themselves. Everybody has a sense of spirituality, whether they call it that or not. Sacredness is at least currently, a really culturally acceptable way to say something without necessarily committing yourself to a specific religious view, to like harder, bigger, like, am I religious? Do I believe in God? Those are all huge steps for people who are not necessarily, um, you know, believers in God or Christians. Uh, but so it's a way to get into that and start to explore where those, where does that hanging in the airness come from? Why, where did it come from? And how do you relate to it? Um, in fact, I guess at, at the ending, I sort of paraphrase from a um, Cornelius Plantinga book that 
we refer to from time to time. And he says in one chapter that, how does he put it? He puts it that some things are like the whiff of a flower not seen. And that's what sacredness is to me. It's like everybody, okay, there's something hanging in the air. And our encouragement by the end of the evening was to, you know, track that scent and go find its source and see where that leads you. That's the kind of thing that we can overtly do in a room that is largely non-Christian, that people find interesting, completely acceptable. They're not being, quote, evangelized right in front of them, but they're definitely being challenged to go find the root of their spirituality. Which, obviously, we believe is God, the, the Holy Spirit, who, like, who is that, that greatness that is outside of us. Right. God, God is real. God is there. And he's planted signs of himself, you know, all around. You know, the heavens are writ large with God, you know, from Psalms. Right. right. So what we're trying to do in the discussion is help to bring the reality of that theology home to people that wouldn't, or wouldn't even say the terms that you and I just used. They just have a sense of like, there's something big out there. There's something grand. Like somehow it hits me. Right. That's God trying to get our attention. That's God trying to lead you somewhere. And we're trying to get people to join the journey. I used to call our church the journey, the church with a funny name. It's like, oh, I go to this back when it was brand new. This church has got kind of a funny name. It's called the journey. Now I think it's just like the best name ever because people really relate to spirituality is a journey. And whether you're a Christian and you're following God, your life is a journey. Or if you're not a Christian and you're still, you know, figuring out uh, whether you have a religious belief, that's a journey as well. So we were challenged, definitely getting people involved on a journey themselves. I hope people started a journey by the end of the evening. I would call that a huge win for Theology of the Bodyworks if non-Christians thought, huh, the sacred, like, where does it come from? Okay, I get that, like, you know, the Declaration of Independence is sort of sacred in a sense to your definitions earlier on, you know. It's unique, it's important, it has a sense of reverence, but, you know, it, it is a piece of paper. Right. It's a piece of paper, and it reflects ideals. Maybe the ideals are where it's. So that's a good example of trying to get people past where they are into a deeper sense, a far more spiritual understanding of our topic. Yeah, it seems that it, was, it wasn't too hard a leap for people to disconnect sacred from the object. Like, we would probably consider the, the Bible sacred and worthy of respect, but we can recognize that the physical book itself does not contain the essence of God, and it is, it is just right. the media that uh, uh, conveys those messages to us, the, the, that the Spirit of God is living and present and separate from the paper. Yeah, similarly, when we, early on when we were exploring the concept of sacred, we were talking about definitions, we were talking about uh, either synonyms or antonyms to help us sort of zoom in on the topic itself. And we talked about like, well, what are traits or evidences or characteristics of sacredness? And people would say things like, you know, they think of quietness or they think of uh, an aura of, you know, grandeur, or they think of scale, things that are really, really big compared to us that are really, really small, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, you know, certain lighting, those are things. Um, Although I hope by the end of the evening, people thought those indicia of sacredness were less important than they did at the beginning because they're just, they're things. They're not the spirituality behind the things. If a mountain is big, well, it's big. Or it's a really big piece of rock. It doesn't mean, you know, God is in the piece of rock. It means he's getting your attention. He's, in essence, God the creator has created a world that shows us how small we are compared to big things. And we stand in awe of big things. 
that would be a Christian concept of reverence for God. But other people are seeing it like, okay, there's something sacred about it, but I, you know, we hope that they get to the point where that's exactly what they eventually see. Mm-hmm. Did you have any any other like books or resources you pulled quotes from or things when you were preparing? Um, we started with a great quote from a terrific Bob Dylan song from 1974. It's all right, Ma, I'm only bleeding. Um, in 1964, Bob Dylan was not yet a Nobel Prize winning <laughs> writer, but everybody already knew as early as that, that his work and his words were exceptional. And he talked in this song that is sort of about all about life. Uh, it's all right, Ma. He writes, quote, disillusioned words like bullets bark as human gods aim for their mark. It's easy to see without looking too far that not much is really sacred. That's kind of our launch point. Uh, in fact, it's kind of interesting because many people in our room saying there were a lot of things that are sacred. I mean, Bob Dylan is, you know, this isn't a, you know, that's just a lyric and an entire song that's doing a much bigger uh, vision of approaching life than just that quote, but it was a really terrific point to launch into thinking about what is or isn't sacred and where do we get that from and getting through opposition to religiosity and looking, being able to see the concept of sacredness from other perspectives. Yeah, that, that reminded me, um, someone brought up the idea that art, the arts are sacred. They're a sacred uh, medium and I, I, that sticks with me in a certain way because Obviously, the product itself, as with the physical Bible, is not necessarily sacred, but it conveys a deeper meaning and a, a deeper thought. Like the music of Bob Dylan conveys some very poignant feelings and reflections on society that are will always be apart from his actual music, but are like a reflection of people of the time and uh continue to be uh pretty relevant um and there's a lot of things uh the there's a really controversial piece of art uh that i'm blanking on the the name but it was was it the crucifix that someone had placed in a jar of urine right right i photographed artist name the work was entitled piss christ that came out um in the early aughts i believe right I'm obviously confusing it with something else, but like as far as the dates go, but that was another thing that was very controversial about uh, is is there beauty in that uh, very sacrilegious uh, image? Uh, and it was interesting to me that people really kind of clung on to that piece of art as a thing to like kind of go back and forth about because mm-hmm. like, there was some mm-hmm. disagreement. Obviously, I mean it's it's inherently controversial, but. It, it is art, and it, so, it, it grabs your attention. Yeah, and the, the 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 entire you know topic of art and what it conveys is a big and grand one. We talked about some elements of art at the Elgin Bottoms before, but a, an expression that we um, talked about, especially in sort of the after discussion, we always have the discussion, and then when we're done, as we put it, like the best, most personal, most Christianly discussions often happen in the room after the official discussion is over when there's people just hanging out, which is what happened. Um, We talked about the Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah. And that to me is just a great reflection of 
the concept of sacredness and how it can be a, a launch point and even a bridge between the spirituality, the spiritual people and, and not spiritual people. The song itself is this lyrical, rapturous, melancholy song that has been used literally dozens of times in movies and videos to convey something special. And yet the song itself is not remotely religious other than the word hallelujah. In fact, Leonard Cohen write, wrote that song specifically. In fact, he said, I wanted to push the hallelujah, the idea of hallelujah, deep into the secular world, into the ordinary world. David's hallelujah from the Bible was a religious song. I want to indicate that hallelujah can come out of things that have nothing to do with religion. So he wrote this song that we talked about like indicia of sacredness. The song sounds religious, the way it's written and it's building. And um, it even has some sort of religious phraseology. You know, David played and it pleased the Lord. But if you really mm -hmm. pay attention, the song's not remotely, but it gives you a sense of something. That, that's what we were talking about earlier on. It gives you a sense of something so that even having a sense of something is something that we want people to track down and think about where that came from. I think God can probably even use a Leonard Cohead song to get somebody's attention. Yeah, I find that really interesting because it is fairly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, mocking of religiosity. It, oh, I know, agree. That, that uh, phrase, like David... Uh, David played and it pleased the Lord. Right. But you don't really it, care for music, do you? Yeah, well, and then he he breaks it down. Like, these are the musical elements that, like, he he makes it mundane the fourth, the fifth, the major, like the, uh, whatever it was, minor fall, um, to make it very like, oh, this is explainable. Um, th there's no sense of mystery to it anymore. Mm -hmm. But it, very interesting to me, like that song seems to have pushed sacred into the mundane instead of separating, like it seems to have had the opposite effect than what he intended. It's, oh, <laughs> maybe so. It's become... I guess I would personally say that the song and its sound and even some of the sort of semi-religious words, if you're not understanding the, um, all the lyrics in the entire context, gives you a sort of a sense of spirituality, a sense of sacristy, a sense of sacredness without being religious whatsoever. And I think it's actually, it's cool that it's become so popular because it does that, because to me it's reflecting an interest and a longing and an innate sense that people generally have that there is something more, but to allow them to sort of do that without committing to anything whatsoever, but to sort of feel kind of, you know, feel kind of special or religious or, you know, whatever. I mean, I would call this basically an, an irreligious hymn. That's what I would mm -hmm. call the song, uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. It's a secular hymn. Uh, because it's not religious. It's really a, for subversion of religion. You're right. I think that's what he wrote it, but it gets used more often. I think his subversion isn't as widely known, I guess I would say. And um, it's just sort of used to put people out there to sort of lend an area, uh, an era, aura, not an era, an aura of specialness. Mm -hmm. uh, were there any other uh, kind of cultural touch points do you, do you remember we talked about? Um, there was art, there was Bob Dylan. Did you have any other? quotes that stood out to you from your prepare, preparation? Um, not so many. Of course, of course, the concept of um, a sacred cow came up because that is, right. you know, in the vernacular, people think about sacred cows. And now the phrase is so common and, you know, it's really 
not used to actually refer to sacred cows, but the source is the fact that cows were considered sacred in some Hindu context, mm-hmm. and therefore, th- you know, things mattered. Um, now it's really sort of a term more of parody, and um, yeah, Abby Hoffman wrote, sacred cows make the best hamburger, you know, for example, which That's is a very, funny. you know, sort of irreligious way of looking at the world, and it's uh, poking fun some at religion. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Just me personally, I've never thought of the term sacred cow as that kind of symbology. Um, I've always thought of it as a, in the context of the Hindu religion. And I, I visited India one time and there were sacred cows everywhere, literal ones. And it was, it's always been a very like specifically religious uh, connotation to me so that that was interesting to me I had to like step back from the conversation and realize that it was part of a different idiom <laughs> than I'm uh, used to using but you're right things like that do like work it their way into our secular vernacular very subtly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I consider it a really successful evening and diving deep into a subject that people just had an innate sense of interest and importance and getting people to think about where their views on sacredness come from and where it's leading them, hearing some other people in the room. Um, you know, have it's always interesting to me when hopefully Christians have a specific, objective, articulable reason for what is, you know, for example, sacred. And other people, if they're not a Christian, might have like a sense of sacredness, but without necessarily being able to put a finger on why. And we hope that's one of our witnesses to the world is that we're able to uh, give some of the reasons why. Um, because, this, I mean, kind of the ending uh, that we tried to press into by the end of the discussion was that, you know, we're here during a pandemic time. And during this pandemic time, there are so many things that you can be doing. I've heard so many people talk about, and I'm guilty of this a bit myself, that when we began sort of being all in, you know, quarantine or whatever sense of not our regular worlds, uh, Jenny, like lots of people were saying, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm, you know, I'm going to write that book. I'm going to, you know, do yoga and become, you know, a yoga expert. I'm going to do these things because the perception is you're going to have all this extra time and you're going to take these extra steps and it's going to be, and then we don't. What, what often happens is we just hit next on next on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that's almost an, like an unsacred act all by itself. Um, our challenge to people was during this unusual time, you can call it sacred if you want, I'm going to call this unusual time of pandemic, that maybe this is the time when people are thinking more deeply about sort of foundational things and what is the meaning of life and what am I doing here and what is sacred and where does sacredness come from? That's the kind of thing that you have more time and room in your life probably right now to do it. And Netflix will always be there when you're when you're done with that those perambulations in your brain. Spend Let's some so. time thinking about that, and that would be a good thing. That's yeah. kind of what we were hoping for from the evening, Jenny. Yeah, this has definitely been a time of just like breaking down, just understanding about how life works. And I know for myself, like I like I, I tore down and rebuilt my house basically, <laughs> rearranged all the furniture and. Uh, rethought about how I spend money and I, I did a lot of things that were not necessarily completely evident on the outside but I like you're, you're right there's been a lot of reassessing and uh, yeah I hope I hope the discussion put people in a place to reassess some of their spiritual assumptions as well right right 
and to um, we kind of concluded in our room that the Urban Dictionary, which is so often, <laughs> so often so Urban Dictionary, um, can be remarkably poignant in a distillation of a concept. Its definition of sacred was what nothing is. That all by itself is. Uh, in terms of us wrapping up, a statement that deserves exploration, which is what we did on our topic. You know, putting a label on something doesn't make it so. And so I thought it was a fantastic evening of diving into sacredness, what it is, where it comes from, how do we know it, and where it leads us. So Indeed. I thought it was an excellent discussion. Well, thank you for joining me for this conversation. Um, for the listeners, we are now a little more active on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook, if you can find us there. And we look forward to talking about the next topic. Very Thanks good. Thanks, Jenny. This is great. Mm-hmm.